This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Beware the Red Flags of Pride. In the first half, Carl B. Cook shares his address, Putting Off the Natural Man and Becoming Saints. Then in the second half, Kim B. Clark speaks on Are Ye Stripped of Pride? Being here today reminds me of an experience I had a few years ago. Sister Cook and I were asked to speak in another university setting. And when my mother-in-law heard about it, she said, Oh, aren't you scared? Actually, I was a little scared, but feeling somewhat curious, I asked her, Why should I be scared? She said, Because students are so intelligent. I'm sure that was a wonderful compliment for the students, but it didn't say much what my mother-in-law thought about me and my intelligence. (laughs) Today I realize that I am speaking to a group of very intelligent and educated people, but I'm not scared. Because the topic I'd like to address is applicable to each of us in a very personal way. It is how we can put off the natural man or the natural woman and become saints through the Atonement of Jesus Christ. It is something I have been working on for many years and battling with overcoming the natural man. But I am determined to never relax, retreat, or retire from the fight. The natural man or woman is the mortal part of us that allows the physical, the temporal, or our own desires to overcome our inherent spiritual goodness and our desires to become like our heavenly parents. Of course, the fight will not be won immediately. It is a daily battle for each of us, and we are dependent upon God and Jesus Christ to help us change our nature. We are taught in the Book of Mormon, For the natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man, and becometh a saint through the Atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord sees fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. I actually had a horse that helped me appreciate the amazing process of change. When our children were young, my wife and I looked for a gentle, well-broke children's horse. Our neighbor had such a horse, but he would sell us kind and gentle Bob only if we bought his other horse, Stubby. The names alone describe the horses. Eventually, we decided to purchase both horses in order to acquire Bob. Sure enough, Bob was a wonderful, and Stubby ended up being, as expected, a stubborn, strong-willed, obnoxious animal that consistently acted up and caused trouble with the other horses. Because of our limited number of horses, I usually ended up riding Stubby during our family rides. He was defiant. When I tried to turn right, Stubby fought to go left. If I wanted to gallop, he would buck or crow hop. I decided to do all I could to bring about a change in Stubby's disposition. I gave him consequences for bad behavior and rewarded him for good behavior. 
I rode him side by side our well-behaved horses. I rode him frequently and groomed him often. Over time, after many rides, and somewhat to my surprise, Stubby began to soften. He submitted more readily to the saddle and bridle. He was less determined to have his own way. He began allowing me to guide and control him without resistance. At times, he even seemed to enjoy our time together. As Stubby's disposition improved, he surprisingly became my horse of choice. He was energetic and had good stamina. He was not at all hesitant or fearful in challenging situations, and in a group of other horses he led out without being needed to be urged on. Over a period of 10 to 15 years, Stubby developed into an exceptional lead horse, and I was grateful that I hadn't given up on him during those earlier challenging years. In fact, Stubby made such a turnaround that we changed his name to Spinner. When I walked to the pasture, Spinner was quick to come to me. He recognized me and seemed eager to please. He responded to the gentlest commands. I could ride him easily without a saddle or even a bit in his mouth. We spent many pleasurable hours together. He was very gentle and became our favorite horse of our grandchildren. He took care of our granddaughters, and he tolerated our grandsons. (laughs) We would say in horse lingo that he was well broke. Spinner gave up his natural and will and aligned his will with his owner's will or his master's will. Spinner underwent a major change or transformation, but it took time, patience, and a lot of work. Through this process of change, Spinner's life improved immensely, and so did mine. It broke my heart when he passed away this past spring. We buried him in a place of honor marked with the hitching post and his halter. In a similar, though much more meaningful way, we are invited to change to submit ourselves to God, who is our Master. In the New Testament we read, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. President Ezra Taft Benson described some of the blessings that come to us as we draw nigh to God and align our will with His. He said, Men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that He can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, and pour out peace." Blessings do come as we submit our will to Heavenly Father, and the more fully we submit our will to Him, the richer the blessings. They may not be the blessings we expect, but they will always be the blessings we need. It is possible to submit our will to God anywhere, anytime. One setting that is particular conducive is while serving a full-time mission, where there are fewer worldly distractions. We are able to consecrate all our time and attention to His work and focus on what He would have us do 
instead of what we may choose to do otherwise. I recently read a letter from a missionary, Sister Wild, who had been serving in the Houston, Texas East Mission for less than six months when Hurricane Harvey hit. In addition to their usual missionary preparations and work, she and her companion and other missionaries worked for days tearing out damaged walls, floors, and sopping wet carpets, sometimes working from 9 o'clock in the morning until 7.30 at night. Though her work is very challenging, Sister Wilde described her experience as, quote, One of the most incredible things I have ever done in my life, she said, What a blessing it is to be part of God's work. I cannot begin to express the way that my mission has changed me. The Lord can do amazing things with us when we give ourselves over to Him." I have experienced similar feelings in my life. I know that the joy Sister Wilde experienced is real and available to each of us as we submit our will and align ourselves with God. In order to experience this joy, we must learn to follow the enticings of the Spirit, the things of God, rather than the enticings of the adversary or the things of the natural man. Because of the Father's gift to us of agency, we choose daily which enticings to follow. In Matthew we read, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. As my grandma Jenny, who was a true cowgirl, used to say, you can't ride two horses at the same time. The adversary entices us to be lazy, complacent, discouraged, indifferent, and doubting. Other of his enticements include giving in to the appetites of the flesh, such as pornography, breaking the word of wisdom, not living the law of chastity, or engaging in other immoral practices. If we are wise, we will ignore and shun those enticements. We exercise self-control and develop the capacity to avoid them. If we are injured by them or if we become ensnared by them, we escape through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Atonement. Though some things may take time to overcome, nothing is impossible, including repudiation of sin, repentance, forgiveness, and healing. Another enticement of the adversary that can keep us from submitting fully to the will of our Father in Heaven is pride. President Ezra Taft Benson described pride as the great stumbling block. One sign of pride is pushing back or turning away from God or others who invite us to do God's will. Invitations may come from parents, friends, teachers, church leaders, the scriptures, and sometimes the Spirit. They may be invitations to stop doing the things we shouldn't be doing, or they may be invitations to do something that God would have us do. A resistant and prideful condition is well described in the Book of Mormon. Behold, they do not desire that the Lord their God, who hath created them, should rule and reign over them, notwithstanding His great goodness and His mercy towards them. They do set at naught His counsels, and they will not that He should be their guide. In other words, 
Pride says, Don't tell me what to do. Don't try to control my life. When we rebel or turn our backs towards God, we are actually turning our backs on true joy and happiness. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, Only by aligning our wills with God's is full happiness to be found. Elder Maxwell also taught that we may mistakenly think that by letting our will be swallowed up in the will of God, we lose our individuality. But the Savior is asking us only to lose our old self in order to find our new self. It's not a question of losing our identity, but of finding our true identity. Using a cowboy's words, I would say that God asks us to give up a penny in order to receive a dollar, and a dollar has some obvious advantages over a penny. Pride, that sinister, grievous, subtle, disrupting, insidious, menacing, rotten, natural man attribute constantly pulls us to focus on ourselves, our looks, our talents, our desires, our goals, our passion, me, me, me. We look inward rather than outward towards others or up to God. Pride focuses on what I want instead of what others want or what God wants. The antidote for pride is humility. It is humbling ourselves and putting God's will above our own, seeking what He wants instead of what we want, and aligning our will with His. One challenging aspect of replacing pride with humility is recognizing pride for what it is. As President Benson described, we often sin in ignorance. I find that when I lose the spirit or feel distant from God or from others, pride is often at the root of the problem. I have found it helpful to ask myself, is it pride that is causing this conflict? When there is tension in a relationship, I ask, is it pride? When I am not getting along with my leader, is it pride? When I am not getting along with those I am called to lead, is it pride? When I shrink from correction, is it pride? I find that invariably, when I ask myself the question, is it pride, the Spirit whispers, yes, it is. I am grateful for the Lord's mercy and kindness in helping us overcome our weaknesses. It is not easy to ask the question, is it pride, or accept the answer. But recognizing pride seems to be the first step towards overcoming it. We can then identify what we need to work on, humble ourselves, plead for forgiveness, let our pride go, and align our will with God's. Yes, the enticings of the adversary are real, but the enticings of the Holy Spirit are also very real and powerful. As we are obedient and yield to the enticings of the Spirit to pray, to study the scriptures, and serve others, we begin to see who we really are from God's perspective and not just from our own. We feel God's pure love for us and recognize our infinite worth. We can feel comforted, valued, and lifted, and often the enticings of the Spirit and our feelings of God's love will prompt us to repent and change and become better. 
I had an experience as a young man in which I felt a distinct enticement to change. This experience helped me understand the difference between who I thought I was and who I really am in God's eyes. During a Temple Recommend interview prior to my mission, the bishop asked, Are you honest in your dealings with your fellow man? I paused for a moment, evaluated my honesty from my point of view, and thoughtfully responded, Yes. I went to the temple and then to Germany to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. As I studied the scriptures, taught the gospel, and served God, the influence of the Holy Ghost increased in my life. My thoughts and attitudes began to change. I had an increased understanding of God's expectations of me. As Preach My Gospel says, I began forming a fresh view of God, myself, and the world. One evening, my companion and I were teaching a lesson on honesty, and an experience came to my mind that occurred before my mission. As a 16-year-old, I fixed up an old 46 Chevy truck to drive to school and work, but it was an ongoing challenge to keep it running. One day, when a friend and I were driving along a country road, we noticed a truck similar to mine discarded in a field next to some old equipment. The truck was partially dismantled and rusting away, but it had a part that was missing on my truck. Since the truck in the field appeared to be abandoned, I rationalized that surely no one would miss the part. My friend encouraged me, and we removed the part from the abandoned truck and put it on my truck. I justified my actions by reasoning that the owner didn't really need the part, and I did. In the mission field, I was teaching investigators that stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you. My experience of taking that once insignificant rusty truck part was brought forcefully back to my memory. Suddenly I was pained by having taken the part. I knew it was wrong. The Spirit helped me understand that, from God's perspective, I had not been honest. I began repenting and asking God for forgiveness. I realized that to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ— to teach gospel principles and to testify with power, I must be living those principles. From a cowboy's perspective, I knew I had to have both feet in the stirrups. This incident was on my mind for the remaining 18 months of my mission. When I returned home, it was a great relief to find the owner of that old truck, reimburse him for what I had taken, and complete my repentance. At last, I felt clean, and I was filled with joy and peace. I learned an invaluable lesson from that experience. There is only one way to assess our honesty or any other aspect of our conduct, and that is from God's point of view. Not our view, our friend's view, or views of people in the community, including the online community. Heavenly Father helps us identify areas in which we need to repent and improve. He can help us recognize and comprehend our true worth. Rather than gauging our value or comparing ourselves to others or by our perception of how others may view us, we can look to Him to be our judge. 
this may take particularly focused effort, particularly in the media-rich environment in which we live. There is public scrutiny with each photo that is posted, each comment that is made, and every like that is given. Each of us is affected by the posts and comments of others, whether they are positive or negative. The great and spacious building, the pride of the world, seems to no longer be confined to a building. The pride of the world today has no walls. It has infiltrated cyberspace. I suggest that it is more important than ever to look to God and let Him communicate to us our worth and the value of our contributions rather than looking to others. We can let Him influence our decisions, what we wear, where we go, whom we go with, and what we do. His likes will be accurate, consistent, and much more merciful than the likes we may or may not receive from the rest of the world. In His eyes and in truth, we are of infinite worth. In fact, He sacrificed His perfect, holy, and only begotten Son in order that our souls might be saved, that we might return to Him. Let God be the audience that we look to to please, not those in the great, shapeless, black hole of cyberspace. Let's pray to Him and check for His inspiring messages. Let's look to Him, our Creator and our Eternal Father, in all things. The path of repenting and changing is a path each of us can follow, no matter our situation. It is a joyful path, full of blessings. It is a path that we walk with the Savior. And as we do, we come to better understand His great power, mercy, and love. We better comprehend who He is and therefore who we are and who we have the potential to become. The path of repentance is the path that leads to becoming a saint. The first step along the path is to exercise faith in God and pray to Him with real intent, sharing our heartfelt feelings. We may feel a desire to repent of our sins, to be cleansed and be healed. We may also be filled with the resolve and strength to change and to progress. The Spirit will guide us, and Jesus Christ will help us along the path. It took approximately 15 years for Spinner's nature to change significantly. Because horses live only an average of 25 to 30 years, it actually took him about 50 human years to change. I hope it doesn't take me that long to transition some of the things I am working on. How about you? Heavenly Father doesn't expect immediate perfection. He accepts our efforts, but He would not have us delay. He would have us come unto Him now and work to become, as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord sees fit to inflict upon Him, even as a child does submit to His Father. He wants us to be His. Discipleship at times can be challenging, but if we have the faith and cultivate the Spirit, we can cowboy up 
and learn to put off the natural man or woman without becoming irritated, frustrated, or discouraged. It can be a joyful process. I love the scripture in the Book of Mormon that describes this pattern of living and progressing. They did fast and pray oft and did wax stronger and stronger in their humility and firmer and firmer in the faith of Christ unto the filling their souls with joy and consolation, yea, even to the purifying and the sanctification of their hearts, which sanctification cometh because of yielding their hearts unto God. My message today is an invitation, an invitation for each of us to see ourselves as God sees us, yield our hearts to Him, align our will with His, and change. We can ask ourselves, am I stuck as a stubby or am I becoming a spinner? Am I following my own course, my own agenda, and striving to please myself, or do I desire to please God? Am I attempting to satisfy the appetites of the natural man or woman, or am I striving to please my Master? Heavenly Father can help us answer these questions. He can also help us in our quest to improve and become more like the Savior. I know as we submit and yield our hearts to God, He will bless us. Jesus Christ sets the perfect example for us. His only desire is to fulfill God's plan. God's work is His will. God's work is His work. They are one. Even when faced with making the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus submitted His will to His Father, saying, Not my will, but thine be done. I bear testimony that through Jesus Christ and His Atonement we can do all things, including putting off the natural man and becoming saints. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Beware the Red Flags of Pride. We've just heard from Carl B. Cook. After the break, we'll return with Kim B. Clark for Are Ye Stripped of Pride? This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Beware the Red Flags of Pride. Next is Kim B. Clark, President of Brigham Young University, Idaho, at the time of this address, titled, Are Ye Stripped of Pride? I'm grateful to be with you today. I pray that the Holy Ghost will be with us, that you and I might be taught and edified by the Spirit. One summer many years ago, my mother decided it would be a great project for her children to refinish the dining room chairs. The chairs were painted a dark cherry color, and my mother had discovered that underneath that paint was good, hard maple wood. I will never forget that experience. We began by applying a nasty solvent called toluene to all the painted surfaces, and then we scraped the paint off. Once the paint was removed, we had to sand the wood with several grades of sandpaper in order to remove the very last bits of paint 
and to prepare the wood for a new finish. When the sanding was finally done, we applied a finish to highlight the grain and enhance the wood's natural color. In the final step, we sealed the new hardwood finish with two coats of varnish. Those chairs were transformed. I think about that experience every time I read Alma's penetrating question to the members of the Church in Zarahemla. Behold, are ye stripped of pride. I say unto you, if ye are not, ye are not prepared to meet God. Behold, ye must prepare quickly, for the kingdom of heaven is soon at hand, and such an one hath not eternal life. The words, Are ye stripped of pride, evoke in me images and smells from that summer. I think of toluene and scraping and stripping and sanding to get down to bare wood. When I think of the finishing process with a vibrant color and the protecting sealing varnish, I think of the description of the Savior as the author and finisher of our faith. And the words of King Benjamin to his people, Therefore I would that ye should be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in good works, that Christ the Lord God omnipotent may seal you his. My message today is about being stripped of pride. I want to talk with you about overcoming pride and becoming the humble followers of Christ. Twenty years ago, President Ezra Taft Benson delivered a powerful sermon on pride. It's a talk all of us should read carefully and often. Speaking in General Conference, President Benson said, The central feature of pride is enmity, enmity toward God and enmity toward our fellow man. Enmity means hatred toward, hostility to, or a state of opposition. It is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride affects all of us at various times and in various degrees. Pride is the universal sin, the great vice. Pride, in all of its manifestations, has played a central role in the struggle between good and evil going back to the war in heaven. The seriousness of the sin of pride is rooted deep in the doctrines of salvation. In premortality, we live with our Heavenly Father as spirit sons and daughters. In the premortal council, Heavenly Father presented His great plan of happiness through which we could obtain immortality and eternal life. Our Father knew that all of us would sin and come short of the glory of God. So He sent His beloved Son to atone for our sins, to redeem us and give us the strengthening power to become more like Him and our Father and ultimately receive the greatest gift of God, eternal life. Here is the great truth in the Father's plan. Through the Atonement of Christ, we can receive peace, joy, happiness, and eternal life with our Heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters, there is a Redeemer. Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, is the only name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. The Father's plan was not received well by all of His children. Lucifer, a son of the morning, rebelled against the Father, against His beloved Son, and against the plan, and presented His own proposal. Behold, here am I, send me. I will be thy Son, and I will redeem all mankind, that one soul shall not be lost. And surely I will do it, wherefore give me thine honor. There are several things to note about Satan's proposal. First, Satan would replace Christ. Indeed, there was no need for Christ, 
and no need for an atoning sacrifice at all. Second, there would be no agency. Everyone would be redeemed. No one would be lost. Third, it would surely happen, and Satan would be the sole reason why. Fourth, therefore, he should have God's honor and glory. Here, in stark contrast to the Father's plan and the great truth, was Satan's great lie. You can obtain joy, happiness, and eternal life without Christ, without God, and without any special effort on your part. And Satan would make all this happen without any sacrifice, pain, or suffering on his part by the sheer force of his power. It was and is the great lie by the father of lies. It would not have worked. It was contrary to the will of the Father and to eternal laws of justice and mercy. And there, right in the middle of the great lie, at the very center of Satan's rebellious, diabolical scheme, was pride. There was pride and all of its sordid offspring—arrogance, selfishness, greed, vain ambition, unrighteous dominion on a cosmic scale. The Father rejected Satan's proposal. Then, driven by deep, deep pride and enmity with the Father and the Son, Satan made war in heaven. He accused our brethren before our God day and night and pushed the great lie with such deception and persuasion that one-third of the host of heaven followed him. But the forces of righteousness overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And so Satan was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Satan continues his war against God and us in the mortal world, where we are subject to the frailties and weaknesses and temptations of the natural man. As it was in the pre-mortal realm, so it is on earth. Pride is at the heart of Satan's war on God and on his children. It has been that way since the days of Adam. But pride has become especially critical in our day. We live in the dispensation of the fullness of times, when the Lord is blessing his children with great knowledge, remarkable technologies, expanded opportunities for learning, and great and unprecedented wealth. With these blessings, however, come this warning from the Lord. It must needs be that the riches of the earth are mine to give, but beware of pride, lest you become as the Nephites of old. Beware of pride. This is the warning voice of the Lord to us now in our day. We have obtained so much control over the resources of the earth, so much understanding of the biology of life, so much capacity to travel and to communicate instantly that we have become puffed up in our learning and our apparent control and power. Pride in its children, materialism, envy, arrogance, greed, thirst for recognition, lust for control and dominion have become rampant in our culture and our society. Modern Babylon is a wash in pride. The Book of Mormon prophets saw our day and spoke powerfully about modern-day pride. In his prophecy of the last days, Nephi saw that many would be, quote, puffed up in their hearts, close quote, and wear stiff necks and high heads. Hundreds of years later, Moroni wrote these words about our day. Behold, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet you are not. But behold, Jesus Christ has shown you unto me, and I know your doing. 
and I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts. The Book of Mormon was written for us. It bears witness of Jesus Christ and warns us of the perils of pride, both in prosperity and in adversity. In the story of Laman and Lemuel, we see two proud brothers who murmured and rebelled and were filled with resentment and anger in the face of the loss of their home and their possessions and their afflictions in the wilderness and failed expectations of leadership. Despite visits from angels and even the voice of the Lord and many other blessings and miracles, pride took root in their souls. Their hearts were hardened, and they rejected the Lord and His prophets. We also see this same pattern of pride, hardness of heart, and rejection of the truth in the face of prosperity. Indeed, the Book of Mormon is a record of an entire people greatly favored of the Lord who succumbed to the temptations of pride, rejected the Lord, and were destroyed. The message is clear. Whether in prosperity or adversity, if we are not diligent and faithful, even the elect, even those greatly blessed by the Lord, can fall prey to the great lie and become hard-hearted, self-absorbed, stiff-necked, and puffed up in their pride. This is something we see all too often. You may have seen the interaction of pride and adversity among people you know. Perhaps because of some setback or a failed expectation or some other problem, a faithful member of the Church feels some resentment, some sense of being a victim unfairly treated. That resentment grows and festers and feeds on pride until it turns to anger and bitterness. Over the years, the member stops coming to church, fails to keep the commandments, and finds ways to rationalize sinful behavior. Or perhaps you have seen the interaction of pride and prosperity. It happens to wonderful people who, in their college years, are full of promise. These are people of great ability and spirituality. They marry in the temple, attend some of the country's finest graduate schools, and graduate with distinction. They are blessed with beautiful children and a wonderful family life. They are active in the Church and serve in positions of responsibility. But something happens to them on the way to a life of service and joy and happiness. What happens is pride. Somewhere along the way, the honors of men, wealth, power, and recognition become more important than their love of the Lord, the love of their spouse and children, and their service in the kingdom. They divorce, leave the Church and their families, and become wholly worldly in their attitudes and their behavior. The effects of pride, whether in adversity or prosperity, are deadly. As Alma prophesied, they that will harden their hearts, to them is given the lesser portion of the word until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil and led by his will down to destruction. Now this is what is meant by the chains of hell. This calamity comes little by little over time. Pride and its effects are like a thin film of darkness that begins to settle on the soul layer by layer, year by year, until the light of the gospel grows dim. Such people become hardened in their hearts, 
selfish in their behavior, and puffed up in the pride of their eyes. There is, of course, always hope. The proud and selfish souls can come back. But after years of darkness and so many layers of pride, it will take a lot of spiritual solvent and a lot of spiritual scraping and sanding to get down to a bare soul and a soft heart. And think of the time they have wasted, the opportunities for growth and becoming that they have lost, the lives they could have saved, and the joy they could have received had they seen what was happening early on and acted on it to change, had they just recognized those first thin films of pride, they might have repented and sought the Lord's redeeming power right then. Had they seen it and acted, they could have humbled themselves and been stripped of pride. Well did the Lord warn us, Beware of pride. Beware. Be alert. Be on guard against the perils of pride. May I suggest some things to watch for, some things of which we should all beware? I think of this list I'm going to give you as red flags of pride. Think of them as like those little flags that the landscapers put on the lawn when they've laid down dangerous chemicals. It's like that with thin films of pride, little warning flags. First, do you find yourself critiquing the talks in sacrament meeting? Are you critical of others? Do you look down on others? Do you scorn or ridicule them? When adversity strikes, do you hear a voice inside that says, Why me? Do you react to prophetic counsel by ignoring it or being upset by it or interpreting it to suit your own desires? When you do something good, do you hear a voice inside congratulating yourself? Do you feel self-gratification and a sense of importance in your knowledge and skill? If someone you know receives something good, do you hear a voice inside saying, What about me? Do you find ways to let others know of your success without appearing to boast? If someone corrects a mistake you made, do you feel defensive and resentful? When someone does something that creates inconvenience for you, do you feel annoyed? I could go on. There are many, many red flags of pride. And brothers and sisters, I did not get this list from a book. I have personal experience with everything I read you. And I know if you and I ever feel any of them or hear any of them in our minds, we need to recognize them for what they are. The echoes of the great lie, the beginning of a call to enmity with our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In that moment of recognition, we stand at a crossroads between two paths. We can follow the path of the great lie and act on those prideful feelings. Or we can follow the path of the great truth and choose Christ. It is a choice. Are we going to keep our covenants? Or are we going to break them? To reject the great lie and choose Christ takes an act of will. We have to consciously say to ourselves, I am not going down the path of the great lie. With faith in Christ and with his help, I am going to walk the path of the great truth. 
Heavenly Father's plan to help us make that choice was beautifully summarized by Alma. He spoke to the people of Ammonai in these words. Humble yourselves before the Lord and call on His holy name and watch and pray continually that ye may not be tempted above that which ye can bear and thus be led by the Holy Spirit, becoming humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love, and all long-suffering. We must first catch ourselves in the moment when prideful thoughts or feelings come and then act in faith to choose Christ, seeking God's help in prayer. This is what Alma meant when he admonished us to humble ourselves before the Lord and watch and pray continually. But that's not the end. We must not only catch ourselves in prideful thoughts and feelings and not only choose Christ in that moment, but through the Atonement of Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, repent of our sins, receive forgiveness, and be led by the Holy Spirit to become humble, meek, submissive, patient, full of love, and all long-suffering. When we choose Christ, acting in faith to humble ourselves before Him, we put ourselves in the hands of the Master Finisher. As we do His will, He will help us be stripped of pride and become meek and lowly in heart, filled with His pure and perfect love. The Lord's finishing process may not always be pleasant. He will chasten and correct and give us experiences that polish us. If we are steadfast and immovable in doing what He wants us to do, we will not be deflected from the true path by adversity or prosperity. We will become the humble followers of Christ, and the day will come when He will seal us His. Being stripped of pride and becoming meek and lowly in heart is not easy. We cannot do it by ourselves. But there are patterns of life we can establish that will help us beware of pride, remember Christ, humble ourselves before Him, and put ourselves in His hands. I'll leave you today with four patterns. Pattern number one, never do anything to drive the Spirit away. The Holy Ghost is essential to the Lord's finishing process, but the Spirit is very, very sensitive to any degree of unrighteousness. Don't do anything or wear anything or say anything or read anything or listen to anything or watch anything or go anywhere that would drive the Spirit away. Pattern number two, don't let the world get into your heart. Never set your heart on things, on money or houses or cars or clothes or any other thing. Don't let a career or power or the honors of men get into your heart. They can get there very easily if you're not careful. Set your heart on the Lord and His kingdom, on your family and the temple, on the things of eternity. Always live modestly within your means and always pay your tithing and give a generous fast offering. Pattern number three, serve the Lord. Accept and always magnify callings in the Church and volunteer to be of service in the Kingdom. When the promptings of the Spirit come, sending you on the Lord's errand to rescue a lost soul or to comfort one in need, act on those promptings quickly as soon as you can. Pattern number four, stand in holy places. 
Make your home a sacred, holy place where the Spirit may dwell. Be in the chapel to partake of the sacrament every Sunday and prayerfully renew your covenant to always remember Him and keep His commandments. If you live near a temple, go often to the house of the Lord. Relive those sacred ordinances and covenants. Reflect on your gratitude for the plan of salvation, for the great truth of the Atonement, on its power in your life and your need for the blessings and strength that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I know that if we establish these patterns in our lives, we will beware of pride. We will be true to our covenants, and we will be in the Master's hands. You and I have much work to do. The Lord is moving with power in the earth, preparing us and the kingdom for His return. Given all the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead, you and I need to be like Ammon, the son of Mosiah, a great and mighty missionary, who said, Yea, I know that I am nothing. As to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God, for in His strength I can do all things. This combination of humility and courage is what we need, and it is precisely what comes to those who reject the great lie and humble themselves before the Lord. Listen to the way President Henry B. Eyring described the process that occurs when we remember the great truth of the Savior and put ourselves in His hands. Those memories, if we choose to invite them, can produce a powerful blend of courage and meekness. No problem is too hard for us with His help. No price is too great to pay for what He offers us. And still, in our greatest successes, we feel as little children. And in our greatest sacrifices, we still feel in His debt, wanting to give more. That is a humility which is energizing, not enervating. We can choose that shield as a protection against pride. Brothers and sisters, our protection, our hope, our salvation is in Jesus Christ. I bear witness of Him, the Holy One of Israel, the light and the life of the world. He is the living Son of the living God. This is His Church and Kingdom. I know that if we humble ourselves before Him and put ourselves in His hands, we will be stripped of pride, and He will polish us and finish us and seal us His. I know that is true. I invoke the blessings of our loving Heavenly Father and His beloved Son upon you this day, that you may become the humble followers of Christ, that the peace, joy, happiness, and power of heaven may flow into your life and into the lives of your families and loved ones now and forever. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Beware the Red Flags of Pride with thoughts from Carl B. Cook and Kim B. Clark. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. 
Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.